You're listening to The Horseman's Mindset, where we meet to discuss horses, mindset, and mental health as it relates to your horsemanship journey. I'm your host, Ashley Purden, and I want to help you to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be with your horse. I'm going to teach you what it is that separates good horsemen from the rest and how you can grow into that role for your horse. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode. So today I'm going to do a little bit of a different format. We're going to begin by talking about a couple of the previous episodes that I've had. So to give you some context, make sure you go back and listen to the previous two episodes with my interview with Christy Smith. We talk about horse behavior, mindfulness, mindset, how our energy projections affect our horses, um, how horses deal with trauma, just dug into so much stuff. And I got a few phone calls after the second part of her interview because she made a really stark um, contrast between the people that work with their horses in such a way that the horse is kept in mind first and the people who work with their horses in such a way that their only goal is personal satisfaction with absolutely no regard to what kind of experience the horse is having. So I'm going to go ahead and play a little clip, about a two minute clip of my conversation with her and what her comment was. And then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And then after that, we'll be going into the coaching portion of the session with the main topic for today, which is going to be transitions. So let's dive in to back with my conversation with Christy real quick. This is going to sound graphic, but there is a word for what it's called when you use another creature, another being for your own personal gratification without their permission. That word is rape, right? So even the, the, the kindest, most loving person, if what they're getting done with their horse is in spite of them and not with them, it's, it is a violation. It is, you know, it is an assault. And, um, you know, some horses just learned to cope with that same as humans, right? Like, well, this is just how life is. And you just learn to suck it up and, and deal with it. And other horses just are not going to tolerate that. And luckily for me, um, it's, you know, starting with Maxie, I've just had a string of horses that were like, blind obedience is not in my vocabulary, not going to happen. Like you're just, you're going to have to get me to want to do it or it's not going down. And I feel lucky for that because if I'd had, you know, a more sort of, you know, like RBI, the, the, the little people pleaser kind of horse that, you know, just wants to try to stay out of trouble, I probably wouldn't have learned anything, right? I would just have bullied them to get it done and felt good about it and went on with my life. But, you know, the fact that I had a mare that I had raised from a baby that like bucked me off all the time, I had to figure it out. Like, she's like, no, whacking me harder is not going to make this go better for you. Like, I am still stronger than you kid. Like, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, I think that if we could just get people 
to recognize that, you know, that if your goal is your own personal satisfaction and you don't care about what the horse's experience is, that is rape. That is how rape happens. <laughs> that to me is yucky. No, no. So the follow-up piece to all of this is that I don't want to make anyone feel guilty. Um, Christy talked about in her uh, interview with me that guilt is one of the lowest energy vibrations that we can have, right? So when we get, when we feel guilty, then we feel shameful and we get this like guilt, shame spiral going on and you can't do anything from there. Like there is no mobilization of energy from that point. It's just everything's inward. Like right now, as I'm sitting, thinking about it, I'm like putting my hands on my chest and slumping my shoulders forward. And it's like, I just want to get in the fetal position. That's, that's that guilt and shame energy. And that's not an effective leadership energy. In fact, it makes our horses feel really insecure when we are operating out of that energy. So if you're wanting to mend your relationship with your horse, don't get stuck there. Like don't, I mean, if you can avoid going there, that'd be great, but don't get stuck there because that is just going to make your horse feel again, that they have to be the one to step up and lead. And if that is the case, obviously our horses don't really make the best decisions for us. They are just looking out for number one for themselves as a prey animal. And you'll get behaviors like them being really reactive or evasive or trouble focusing or all that because you're in this guilt and shame spiral. So don't, don't go there. Realize that you have always done the best you can with the information that you had at the time. And now you've had a bunch of new information dumped in your lap, which gives you some responsibility to do something with that information. Right? So like I said, I had to stew on this for a couple weeks and decide if I even wanted to make it part of my podcast because it was just such a heavy, like, whoa, that is a big responsibility we have. And I feel like I have mostly been doing it very well, but I didn't really want to put that on other people to, um, to recognize this because it's a hard, it's, it's a really hard thing to look in the mirror. I remember my moment when I realized that I had been pushing my horses for my own personal gain. And I had to take a step back and be like, okay, hello, we we're not ready for this horse show. We're not, we're not ready for what this client wants, um, whatever it is. And I've started attracting kind of a new type of client. So, so that's kind of number one. Remember you're doing the best you can with the information you have at the time. You now have some new information to sort out and just do the best you can with it. Okay. It's, it's a lot about intention. It's a lot about intention. So this would be something that would be really good to journal about, to try to look back and say, Hey, has there ever been a time that I have used my horse for my own personal gratification and I completely disregarded their well-being, um, mentally, emotionally, or physically, I can tell you guys another time where I had my mare entered in a cowboy race. And this was, oh, probably 15 years ago. And we drive up to Maryville for the cowboy race and it is just raining cats and dogs. It's literally raining so hard that they postpone the start of the race. And the only time they ever do that for cowboy racing is if the judges can't see you because of how hard it's raining. So, you know, it's raining hard. 
So we're sitting in our truck, got the horse in the trailer. And I had noticed before we left, before we even left home, that my mare was a little bit lame. And I didn't know what it was about. I was like, well, so I walked her around a little bit and it seemed to get somewhat better as we went. And I was extremely uneducated about lameness, um, really horses in general <laughs> at that point. And so I, uh, I went ahead and threw her on the trailer anyway. And then we had terrible muddy conditions. We're loping through water, which is strenuous on horses. I'm not saying like, don't do it, but like, make sure your horse is sound before you do that. Right. And I get her out and warm her up a little bit in the little tiny warm up space I have, which is like nothing. And I'm like, you know what? She feels okay. When I hadn't raced her, I ended up getting fourth that day in the open division, which was a huge deal. Cause I still was technically a youth rider. And I felt like complete crap about it because when I got home, she was three legged lame. She ended up having a suspensory injury which was made much worse by my decision to go ahead and ride her that day. And I still have that fourth place certificate on my wall in my bedroom at my dad's still. <laughs> he let me keep my like horse stuff in there. And I, I still have it there. Um, I really probably need to bring it home and stick it on my bathroom mirror so I can like remember that. But again, I'm not guilting or shaming myself. I'm just reminding myself of a time that I did not put my horse first. And I, you know, I really messed that horse up. Unfortunately, she ended up um, getting sold because I tried to take her back to cowboy racing. And that one experience of being raced under that much pain had completely soured her. So even after she was sound again, she would not race anymore. That was just it. She was like, okay, we're done now. So I ended up selling her as a trail horse. And then unfortunately she ended up being a chronic suspensory horse. And that meant none of that may have ever happened if I hadn't made that decision. So it just, you know, I think about that and it's like, man, we learn, we live and we learn, right? And we spend these time, this time with these horses and we try to do stuff with them and we learn. And some of these lessons are really, really, really hard, but Will I ever go compete on a horse that I'm not quite sure is sound again? Never. never. I will never do that again because it ruined that entire horse's career. Um, and it, it really physically wrecked her and mentally to some extent because she didn't even want to do the job again that she had previously loved. So, yeah, that was just one example from my past that it was like, oh, that just was a really yucky, yucky experience. and. Now going forward, my horses that I am working these days all benefit from that experience because I won't ever do that again. So what about the horses that the rider just isn't getting along with? That horse and rider fit is just not good. Is it okay to sell a horse that you're not getting along with? So I actually got this question sent in to me um, this last week after one of my listeners had listened to this particular part of Chrissy's interview. And, and she just said, oh, I just feel so guilty. Like I've been wanting to sell this horse because I haven't been getting along with her. But then is that like the right thing to do? And, and um, how can I do that with integrity? And, and should I just keep her and try to figure all this out? But like, I just don't know what's going on. And, and it's like, it's one of those things she was a little bit on a hamster wheel <laughs> of um, 
anxiety and concern about it. And I was like, okay, you know, this is exactly what I didn't want to have happen is that somebody gets stuck in that shame and guilt cycle and then can't make any forward progress in any direction. They're just like treading water and feeling like they're drowning. So I went ahead and I shared another podcast with her that was by somebody else. And it was about selling horses. And I thought that lady did a really nice job summing things up. Um, But I had a couple of other things that I just wanted to point out. And that is not every horse and every rider is going to be a good fit for each other. And I've had some really surprising horse sales. And I don't sell horses often. I don't sell horses on consignment. I don't sell them for the public. Um, I just... It's just a messy thing. I don't enjoy it, but every once in a while, I'll want to upgrade my personal horse. And so I'll sell a personal horse. And I had one in particular that I sold and I just really was worried about um, the home that it was going to. And not that it was a bad home, like the horse was going to get cared for very well. You know, he was never going to miss a meal. I mean, nothing like that, but like, I'm very anal in particular about everything I do with my horses. I mean, they're on like 10 million different supplements. I knew that wasn't going to be happening. Um, I check my saddle fit every single time I put a saddle on and I'll like shim it a little bit or change the saddle pad out or, you know, do whatever I do so that horse can be as comfortable as possible. Um, I've been cowboy racing on this horse and he's very reactive and sensitive. And I just thought, I was like, man, I just don't know if this guy's going to be able to get along with this horse. So I ended up selling the horse to someone else who ended up then selling the horse to this guy <laughs> like six months later. And like the odds, it was just really funny. And I I had even told him, I'm like, I just, I just don't feel like this is the right horse for you. And so then he circled back and, and he was like, Hey, I have an opportunity to buy the horse that you wouldn't sell me last year, you know, and kind of, we, we, uh, we're good friends. So it was just, kind of made fun of the whole situation. And I was like, well, okay, you know, I just want to warn you, like he's, you know, he looks good, but he can really back off obstacles and he can be very reactive. And, you know, he's dumped me a few times. And, um, but I mean, like I had him, there's a lot of things that were really good about him. I mean, he was really cool, super lead changer, great stopper, super cowy. I mean, a lot of really great things, but as an obstacle horse, I'm like, I don't know that that's really going to be his gig. So, um, so I, I give him all the warnings. I'm like, and he's had ulcers and like all this stuff. And, and he's just like, you know, like looking at me like, okay, well, I've decided I'm buying this horse. I'm buying this horse. And I'm a lot of the information I could tell that I was giving him was just going in one ear and out the other. I don't know what portion of it stuck or didn't stick. Um, but he takes the horse home, throws it out in the pasture and guess what? This horse didn't have any issue with ulcers unless he was traveling with him, in which case he kind of figured out a little um, regiment he could do with some alfalfa hay and some omeprazole. So I was really pleased with that. Uh, Miracle of all miracles, the one saddle that this man owned fit my horse. Like just, I don't know how that even happens. So, you know, sometimes the stars align and then I, he comes over for a lesson and rides him and this horse loves this guy. Like this horse loves this guy way more than he liked me. I mean, like, I don't think that horse ever liked me. I mean, we just fought and fought and fought and 
it just every single ride was just like, no, we're going to do this. And that horse would be like, no, but I want to do that. I'm like, hello, we're refocusing. And he'd be like, what's that over there? I'm like, okay, we need to get back to here. And like, he just, and so I don't know if it was like my energy or, you know, the emotional weight I was putting on that horse. Um, as a side note, that was actually the horse that I had named after my friend who had passed. So I think I just had like way too much baggage coming into that relationship with that horse. And he was like, this is too much for me. And so he just loved this guy who just like threw a saddle on him and rode. And that was it. Like there was no proof. There was no fluff. There was no, you know, emotional baggage. It was just, let's go do a job. And that horse was like, oh, thank God. Thank God, I can just go do my job. And they have been kicking ass. They've been doing great together. And it just blows me away. It's like, I, I was so afraid to sell that horse. I was so afraid to sell that horse because I just felt like I never had him quite where I wanted him, but I wanted to move up in horse and get a, get something else. And I just felt so guilty about that. And, um, you know, I, I am a horse trainer, but my husband has a two horse limit on me. So I can only have two at a time. I can't have more than that. And I, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good option for me to keep him. And he wasn't really that great for me. And it's turned out that he's been fantastic for someone else. So I just want to reassure you that if you feel like you're really struggling with your horse or you can't figure it out and you've, you know, dove in as far as you're willing to go or able to go financially, mentally, emotionally, time-wise, you know, whatever it is, and your horse is just not going to make a trail horse or not going to make a dressage horse or not going to make a jumper or not going to make, you know, whatever it is, that it is okay to put the horse up for sale and try to find a match. And it's a little bit of a crapshoot. I will say you never know for sure how it's going to go, even though you try to get a read on somebody and watch them ride the horse and get a feel of what their program is. And you can even go to their place and look at what their place looks like, you know, do whatever you need to do to feel good about it. But you never know a hundred percent for sure how it's going to go. Right. But if I had never sold that horse, he would have never had the opportunity to be as happy as he is now. He did not like living in a stall. He did not like my training program. He did not like the emotional baggage that I brought to every single session. He didn't like it at all. None of it. Zero. Eh, just did not. And now he's living this great life. So I want to encourage you on that front too, that I don't want you to feel like selling a horse means that you failed at anything or that you're not good enough or that, um, you know, you just couldn't figure things out. You know, some horses personalities just click with other people's better. And it's important to be humble enough to recognize that and be okay with that. So that's been a little bit of a process that I've gone through on, on selling one of my horses. Hey guys, I'm going to pop in here and take a quick break from this episode to tell you about my upcoming clinic, which will be September 17th and 18th at Sitter Downs Arena in Lone Jack, Missouri. We will be doing obstacles and horsemanship at this clinic, so it'll be a great opportunity to build your confidence, build your horse's confidence, become a more consistent rider, become a better leader for your horse, learn some practical mindset tools to help you get unstuck where you might be feeling stuck, learn about the way your horse thinks and how his mind operates and his psychology, 
and get to play around on some obstacles and most importantly, enjoy your horse and make some new friends. So if you're interested in this opportunity to come ride with me, the best way to get a hold of me to sign up is to send me a text or a phone call, 913-481-6172, and I'll be sure to put the information about this in the show notes of this episode. Okay, we're now going to get into the coaching session of this podcast. So pet peeve alert. When I'm giving lessons or I watch other people ride, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are working on upward transitions in particular. And let's say you're working on a walk to an extended jog. Okay, so Transitions vary in complexity and difficulty based on how far apart or close together they are. So let's say the closest together, an example of a really close together transition would be like a slow walk to a stop. Okay, that would be a transition that would have a lower level of difficulty than an extended lope to a stop, right? So that would be like really extreme level of difficulty versus just a walk to a stop. Um, A little bit more difficult might be an extended walk to a stop. Stepping it up more might be a regular jog or a slow jog to a stop. A little bit more might be an extended jog to a stop. And then again, we could go up to the lope and then stop and then extended lope and then stop. So we can really start separating and spreading out these transitions. Well, That's an example of some downward transitions. Let's say somebody's working on some upward transitions. So again, when I work on transitions, I like to start with things that are a little bit close together um, if the horse is more sensitive and feely, okay? So if you have a horse that just gets rattled really easily, I would not recommend doing your walk warm up and then going from walk to extended jog and doing like a million of those because he's gonna be very zippy by the end of that. Um, you might do a walk to extended walk and remind him that he can come back to a walk and he doesn't have to jog. So be like, bear in mind the type of horse you have. If they're one that is really feely and is easily forward, we're going to do our warm up with the transitions closer together, meaning we're not going to be reaching for that big transition. We're going to be going from an extended walk to a jog or, you know, just moving up one at a time or down one at a time. Um, And if you have a horse that is harder to motivate, spread those suckers out. Get your transitions far apart. So I'll do my walking warm-up. I'm always preaching about walking. Make sure you walk enough. Most people don't walk near enough. I see people get on their horse and immediately go jog off and it just kills me. So there's Pet peeve number one, (laughs) don't do that to your horse. It does not give their muscles and their fascia and their tendons and their joint fluid enough time to warm up before you're putting strain and pressure on them. So a good solid 10 to 25 minute walk warm up, whatever you have time for, please do it. Um, So if you have a horse that's going to be a little bit more sluggish, a little bit more on your leg, a little like, like you get out there and you just kind of, you put your leg on, they're kind of like, Uh, I don't really want to go, then you're going to want to really spread those transitions out. So something that I like to do on my dad's horse, Cinco, because he comes out there and he's like a wet blanket sometimes. And I'm just like, oh, come on, Cinco, 
let's like move in a straight line and get off my leg. And he gets really wiggly and kind of walks like he's drunk because he's not forward. So what I'll do is I'll do his walking and we kind of waddle around and slowly I'll straighten his walking up and start doing some extended walk, right? Because that's still within the walking. I can still do extended walk to walk transitions while I'm doing my walking warm up. I'll even throw some stops and backs in there every once in a while. But I can mess around with that. But then like to really get that horse off my leg, I'm going to need to go slow walk to extended jog. That's like one of my favorite things to do with them. And one of my favorite ways to go about this, and I'm very consistent with it. So there's no surprises, you know, try not to surprise your horse, even the lazy ones. Um, Try to be really consistent with how you apply pressure. So I will ask him to jog off. So I'll raise my energy. I'll take an inhale. It's important to use your breath on your transition. So for an upward transition, I'm going to inhale. I'm going to sit up a little bit. I'm going to pretend that I've got a drawstring on my sternum and it's pointed up towards the ceiling or the sky if I'm riding outside. And I've got my shoulders back and loose and my elbows loose. And I'm just going to just inhale. And then I'm going to apply my leg right at the same time. Usually the first time I do this, absolutely nothing happens. And I've had this horse in training since he was a baby. I started him in the round pin, very first rides. So he knows, he knows exactly what's going to happen. I've done this with him thousands and thousands of times, but it's a warm up. So he gets his little, you know, three second warning essentially is what I do. So I inhale, leg on, I count to three. And on three, I take the end of one of my reins and I give him a good solid flop on his hindquarters with the end of my rein. And he usually at this point, he lopes off. Okay. Was I asking for a lope? No, but I was making sure that he wasn't ignoring my leg. So pet peeve number two, when people are working on transitions is that they go ahead and correct the horse, you know, however it is, he's not a very sensitive horse. So he needs to have the flop on the hind end. Otherwise I will like have no energy in my legs because I will have been squeezing him the entire hour that I've ridden him. I won't be able to walk afterwards if I don't get him off my leg. Like that is like part of our warm up. Cinco, get off my leg, go forward, go straight. That's what we work on every single day. <laughs> okay. So, um, and every single day, the very first one, he ignores me every single time. Now, what would happen again, this is pet peeve number two, what would happen if Cinco jumped forward into the lope after I thwapped him with the end of my rein, and he was instantly grabbed in the face by my hands. And I went, Oh no, I didn't want to lope. Stop. What would happen? That's going to really confuse the heck out of that horse because horses do not think in stop, back up, walk, jog, and lope. They don't think like that. They think in faster, and slower. That is all. So if I correct him and I say, go faster, don't ignore me. Don't sit here and just walk, go faster. And he lopes off. I'm going to say, good boy. Good job. Thank you for getting off my leg and going somewhere. And I'm going to let him lope a few strides. And then I'm going to exhale again for our downward transitions. We exhale, but exhale. I'm going to sit a little deeper in the saddle, but not sink down too much. I want to stay tall. 
but I'm just going to kind of let my energy and my weight go down. Maybe put a little more weight in my stirrups and I'm going to ask him to come back to me. And if he doesn't come back down to a walk, then I'll pick up my reins and I'll ask him to walk. So I try to ride, especially my warm up with my reins as more of a safety net. And even when I have my horses on a collected rein, I'm using my seat and my leg to steer them around, not my reins. My reins are there for bend and collection, um, not so much for steering and speeding up and slowing down. Okay. But the end of them can be quite handy if you have a lazy horse, right? So make sure if you have a horse that's a little harder to motivate or you're teaching them their transitions and they make a mistake, don't get after them for that mistake, especially if it was heading in the right direction, okay? So here's a mistake that Cinco could have made where I would have maybe gotten after him. And this happens sometimes too, um, where I have done my good walk warm up and everything. I'm ready to do my first walk to extended jog transition. And I really, this is just my favorite transition on him because it really gets him moving. I like the extended jog because it uses the horse symmetrically. Um, when you're loping, loping is a very one-sided gait. Um, we could talk about the footfalls. I'm not going to go into that right now, but they use themselves like very one-sided. That's why some horses have one lead that's really good and one that's really bad. Some horses, you can't even get the other lead um, because they're used to using just one side of their body at the lope. So I like the extended jog because it's nice and square and it really makes them um, powerful. It really builds top line. It really builds hind end engagement. You can do a lot with that gait. And for my lazier guys, it wakes them up. So one mistake that he can make, which happens quite, I mean, not really super often, maybe twice a year, maybe twice a year he does this. So I will be walking, I'll inhale, I'll sit up nice and tall, make sure my shoulders are draped back and I'll put a little bit of leg on and he ignores me. And I give him a flop with the end of my rein and he squeals and he takes one of his hind legs and kicks it out in the air. And I'm not going to ignore that. <laughs> okay. Especially if he didn't get going forward. Now, if he kicked a hind leg out in the air and then he loped off, I actually would ignore that. And I know that seems kind of counterintuitive. Like we get like all like, oh, I don't want my horse to be disobedient. I just want my horse to go forward. Like this particular horse, I just need him to go forward. I don't really care how he does it. I've got 45 minutes left of my session that I can work on the how he is going forward portion of the um, cue. <laughs> but I just need, I just need some forwards. So like if you're going to have an attitude about it, I don't care. Just do it. Right. So but then if he were to kick out at me and squeal and then keep walking, now I have to do something about that, right? Now I have to either decide, do I want to put more pressure on with my rein? Do I want to pull him around in a little circle and move his hind end around? Do I, like, what do I want to do? How am I going to get him off my leg? I've got some decisions to make there. And there's not necessarily one right answer. There's just, you just got to try some things and see what motivates your horse more. Because some horses, if you hit them harder, then are going to be like, okay, well then I'll just kick out harder. And eventually we lose that game, right? So <laughs> we got to be creative sometimes as to how to get our horses off our leg. So another example of this would be a horse that's a little bit more fractious, a little bit more forward, really likes to go. And you're working on your transition. Then let's say, I, again, I just love the extended jog. It's such a great warm up after you've done your walk. So usually I'm going to put a horse in an extended jog after I've been walking. And I'm going to work on really getting that top line stretched and getting them on the bit and all that stuff. 
So we go around, we've got this more feely horses, more sensitive horses, horses just like begging to lope off at any moment, really wants to go, would just be much happier if I just let it run around the arena aimlessly all over the place. And that horse, you sit down, exhale, release your leg, and you are aiming for let's say you're aiming for a slow jog transition again with our more fractious feely horses keep those transitions closer together till they build some more confidence so let's say that we're aiming for that slower jog transition and you sit and that horse stops okay this is right in there with pet peeve number two i've seen it happen so much that poor horse is finally going, oh, they want me to slow down. And the rider gigs it with its spurs and goes, no, I wanted a slow jog. And I'm like, oh, like, please, for the love of all things horses, just please, please stop. Just stop. Because now that poor little horse is all freaked out because he thought he was doing what you wanted, which was to slow down. And he was doing what you wanted. But you didn't realize that the horses don't think in these little chopped up pieces of their gates, right? These chopped up gate categories. They don't think in walk, extended walk, jog, extended jog, lope, extended lope. They don't think in that. They think in speed up and slow down. So if your horse does that, just pet him on the neck. It was probably a rough ride because you were expecting a slow jog. So you're probably about standing on your head and your horse's mane at this point. And uh, so just sit back up. Pet your horse, say thank you for the effort. That was a tremendous amount of effort. That was actually much more effort than what I wanted. And then go and repeat that transition until your horse figures out what you want, okay? So I hope that helps you on talking about transitions today. Transitions are the building blocks of everything in training with your horse. They help balance the horse. They help build cadence and correct cadence. They help rider balance. They help build collection when it's time for that. So transitions are everything when it comes to the foundation of training your horse. So make sure that you're not just riding around the arena one gate at a time and start mixing it up and asking for those transitions and know your horse, know what your horse needs from you and understand when your horse is trying. Don't reprimand them when they're trying, right? That old saying, don't ask a trying horse to try. Like it's not fair. So make sure you're being fair to your horse and that you're understanding where they're coming from as far as understanding speeding up and slowing down versus they really do not understand the breakdown of the gates like we do. That's something that has to be taught over time. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to close out with a quote from Nelson Mandela. The greatest glory in living lies not in never failing, but rising every time we fail. I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. If you are enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor and take a moment to leave a review. Leaving a review helps other like-minded horse people find my podcast and really helps me to grow my audience. I so appreciate each and every review you guys leave me. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you get new updated content fresh from me every week. As always, you can also find free content on my website, pioneerhorsemanship.com. We'll see you soon.